Hello everyone, welcome along to this week's Super 6 podcast. Pleasure to have your company because I actually don't have any other company alongside me. Usually Bio is sitting right there next to me. I'm staring at a completely empty booth. It's just me. However, he sent me a couple of guests. I don't know who they are yet. He's got to train. Apparently he's got a full-time job as a footballer in the championship. I'm not sure he's mentioned it before, but he has two people who are going to be suitable replacements, apparently. So let's find out who they are. Predict six correct scores on Super 6 this week for a chance to win £250,000. Download the app and play by 3pm on Saturday. Head to skysports.com forward slash Super 6 for more details. Nigel oh. Winterbat. <laughs> oh my God. Welcome. How are you, Nigel? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. I'm a little bit shy. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a, quite a big Arsenal fan. Well, I know that. I've been reading some of your articles. <laughs> Hopefully I've only said nice things. It's oh, nice well. to have you on. Thank you so much. Well, Are apparently you... you're banned at Arsenal already, so you started well. Yeah, I actually <laughs> probably am, to be fair. I only speak the truth. <laughs> How are things with you, Nigel? You all right? Yeah, we're very well, thank yeah? you. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just you, is it? Just me. Ray's hiding in the background somewhere, but um, I refuse to let him in my house because I haven't got enough beer for him. Ray Parler! Ray Parler, where's the Cobra Ray? Hello, Laura, come on. Here he is! uh, I'm definitely stocked up, though. I'm definitely stocked up. Look at that. Look, is that your gaff? Wow. Look at those Christmas decorations. Well, I'll have to take credit for it. It wasn't me, though. They are quite... Nothing to to do with it, Laura. Do you do stocking fillers, though, for those stockings behind you? Just for show. Oh, they're amazing. How, how you been anyway? You all right? Yeah, I've been all right, actually. Gosh, I'm, how, I'm how you, so how excited you, how to have you been on, them. How are you getting on Monday to Wednesday? Are you enjoying it? Monday to Wednesday's fine. The early mornings are, um, they're difficult, <laughs> aren't they? I feel like I'm well, slowly... Well, at least you can't go more... out there, so you, you can have a nice early night every Though night. I'm finding ways to combine it. I'm trying to do an Alan Brazil and it's not quite working yet, but I'm finding my way, Ray. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I do. I miss Good. working with you, though. I haven't worked with you for ages. No, hopefully we'll do a couple of shows soon. I'm sure we will. Guys, because I've got you on, I feel like the elephant in the room at the moment is that we've got to talk about Arsenal and what's happening and where you think the problems are lying at the moment. Um, A draw against Southampton, a good Southampton side. So, so, you know, that's kind of... I don't think that's necessarily a a terrible result. But maybe we should start with Aubameyang. New contract, big, big contract. Ray, why is it not working for Aubameyang at the moment? What's going on? Well, I think you can. It's a little bit of everything, really. I mean, he's, he's lacking a little bit of confidence, uh, which every striker does. You know, create chances yourself from, by making your runs early, um, and probably creativity. I mean, they've been lacking a little bit, giving him service, which is uh, what he thrives on. Uh, I know he plays off the left hand side; he plays better off the left. But certainly, uh, it's a situation where I'm really pleased that he got his goal last night. Hopefully, that will give him a little bit more confidence going into the Everton game at the weekend. Uh, but he was desperate for a goal. I can mm. tell, you know, he was, you know, when you, you're making runs and the ball's not going where you want it to go. And it's just, you know, yard out of being perfect and it's not. So, yeah, I, I'm really pleased he got his goal last night and hopefully that give him yeah, huge confidence going forward. We will get to the glory days in a second because we want to end on a positive, of course. But Nigel, I wanted to ask you a little bit about squad discipline because obviously in the in the days when you guys were playing, squad discipline might have been, um, I don't know, I mean, what was it like? <laughs> Uh, well, we were very disciplined, weren't we, Ray? We went out every Tuesday. That's very, very disciplined. <laughs> um, but, but no, I think <laughs> I think really it's we're in a we're in a different era where 
Uh, if you're talking about what players can do on and off the field, um, we got away with a lot of things. But I think a lot of clubs were doing the same things. But now, I mean, everything you do, but particularly when you're in a very poor run, um, the last thing you want to, to happen is to for your players to be ill-disciplined. So the sendings off are just coming at crucial times for Arsenal at the moment because they're on top against Burnley to get a sending off. Southampton were the better team last night for the first half. Arsenal come out, they were really strong, they get the equaliser and all of a sudden all the momentum's taken taken away from them. Mm. And um, the best, I did the co-coms last night in the game and the best way I could describe it is when I was at uh, West Ham and we got relegated in 03. We couldn't win a game at home. And you go out with all positive intentions, you're playing well, and then just something stupid happens. A bad individual error, or you get a player dismissed, and you're on the back foot, and then all of a sudden it all falls apart very, very quickly. And Arsenal have got to somehow try and rectify this very, very quickly. Is it, Ray? Is it like, you know, yeah. when you see you see these players getting sent off and frustrations boiling over, where should that, stem from is it individually that they are they are very aware of the situation that they're in at the moment and something's not going right there's some blame that's being left at the door of Mikel Arteta as well where do you think the blame lies with this is it individuals or is it the manager I I, I don't think you can legislate you know when Pepe got sent off you know you can't do that you know as a footballer you can't go head to head with people Uh, so that that, that's nothing to do with the manager Gabriel's last night, and look, he's, he's on a yellow card. He knows he's on a yellow card. It's a little bit of uh, naivety, really. And he's gone in for another tackle. And next minute, he's just been... But he's going for the ball. He's been one of the better players for me, Gabriel. I think he's been an excellent sign at the back. He's really settled in very quickly. You know, so I, I'd let him get away with that. Xhaka, you just can't legislate that as well. As a manager, he should know better. You know, he's a, a very experienced player. He knows you can't get people around the net when the referee's looking at you. <laughs> Uh, in this day and age. Maybe you could have got away with it in the early 90s or 90s and the referee would go, all right, come on, just calm down both of you. But you can't do that now. So, and as Nigel says there, this is when they're on top. This is when they've got a chance to get to get all three points. Suddenly they lose. Mm. They don't get no points. Mm. That's a big uh, turning factor in games at times mm. because Burnley will get a massive lift from Xhaka getting sent off. As much as Leeds, I know we end up with a nil-nil draw, but Pepe, him going up as well, made it really difficult for, for Arsenal to get anything out of that game. Well, they got a point in the end, which was a good point. And, and last night, I mean, you're down to 10 men. As Nigel said, you're on the front foot. you just got the goal to equalise. Suddenly, Southampton are backing off and then it gives them a lift again to uh, go on and win the game. I thought they really defended well at the end, Arsenal, just to keep a point because we know how dangerous Southampton are going forward and how, how good they, they've done this year. So uh, I was very happy in the end with a 1-1 one, one draw. I get a lot of stick for being a Mikel Arteta fan and still thinking he's the right man for the job. And I and nothing that I've seen recently as an Arsenal fan has made me think that he's still not the right man. Because like you no. say, Ray, those individual things, I think they're, they're kind of out of his hands. Nigel, do you think he's still the right man for the job? From what I'm hearing uh, around the training ground and people that I'm speaking to, they say that he's a fab- fabulous with the players and the work that he, he does is very, very good. And this is going to be a massive test for him. He's he's a manager that uh, is very, very young. He's still learning his trade. I still think he's the right manager, but we all know that results are going to be so, so key to him, and particularly over the next few weeks, because if these results continue, 
is going to come under more and more pressure, no matter how much the board says that they back you, because once the fans now start to get involved, as they can do on social media, it puts so much pressure onto the uh, football club. So he's now got to stick to his beliefs. He's got to rely on these players that he's got as a group that can take him forward and get Arsenal back into a decent position within the Premier League at the moment. Mm. The good thing is the terrible form that we are in in the Premier League two wins, and it looks very, very different. So uh, he's got a lot of work to do. He's got to instill somehow some confidence, some belief, some aggression, but also some discipline because we cannot afford to keep going down to uh, 10 men, particularly now with VAR. Uh, you know, the game is a lot less uh, contact than it was 10 years ago. The players now know once they're booked, you've almost got to go and close a player down, but you can you cannot then make a tackle. Mm. And you certainly can't, as uh, Xhaka did, is put your hands around someone's neck and get away with it. In the studio, Patrice Evra got one of your former teammates in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> said that Thierry Henry was watching the telly once when um, Xhaka led the team out as captain and said he, <laughs> said he got up, turned the TV off. I mean, <laughs> Thierry Henry's got to be sitting there when he hears that. He looks down at his phone and it's just gone absolutely berserk. What, what's Thierry going to be thinking in that moment? You both know him. Ray, what do you reckon? Well, he wouldn't be too happy, I don't think. You know, you might say that in the, in the spur of the moment, but you don't expect it, the whole nation. You can sit down the pub, probably. You can say it to your, one of your mates, but then you can, you know, not, not on TV. You wouldn't say something like that and say, uh, you know, disrespecting another player, really. But I thought I thought it was the end of Xhaka when he, you know, we saw mm-hmm. that incident when he came off and he threw his shirt and, he, you know, that was the end. But he, he has picked up a little bit under Arteta. I think Arteta's getting the best out of him. But I just worry about that midfield area. I really do. I mean, it, it's not mobile enough. You've got Sabayas mm-hmm. in there and you've got, I know El Nene plays as well. Mm-hmm. And where's the goals going to come from? If Aubameyang don't score... Who's, who's going to chip in, especially from that midfield area? You've got to you've got to get someone that at least to score five goals from midfield as well. Mm. And they don't. Everybody's a similar sort of player in there, so I think that's where they do. I could see him last night. You know, he was watching the uh, the TV, not shaking his head at certain times in the game. He knows as well. They need a bit more quality in that midfield. He need, he wanted Aor, didn't he? That was a name that was being touted round for a while, which would have been a little bit more of that sort of goal scoring, perhaps a, a more creative midfielder. Is he kind of doing the job with his hands tied behind his back a little bit because he's not necessarily getting the sort of players that he wants? Even though he's been allowed signings, he's not being given a huge kitty, is he, Nigel? No, I mean, from Arsenal's point of view, I think they've had some decent money to spend over the last year and a half, more than we've probably spent for a little while. I know for a long, long time, Arsene Wenger didn't talk about it, that when they moved to the Emirates, they were under severe restrictions with their spending. But we're well past there now. And uh, I always say to people when they say to me, oh, why don't we go out and buy this player? Why don't we just go and get him? And And I turn around and say, well, one... How do you know that that player now wants to come to Arsenal with the position that we're in? What can we guarantee them? What can we give them that uh, maybe another club that's interested in them cannot give them? We can't give them Champions League football at the moment and we, we're not challenging for the title. So don't just, just believe because we're linked with players uh, and they're not coming, it's because the club are not doing enough. You know, that player simply might not want to come to our football club. But I do agree with Ray I am worried about our midfield area. I think you need to be so, so energetic 
in that area now. And I just wonder, obviously, with um, with Partey coming to the football club, I thought that was a real good addition to the squad. Obviously, we haven't seen a lot of him. He's picked up an injury, could be out for for quite a while. But that so when he comes back, I think that will make us stronger in that area. But I think you need loads of energy. And then we talk about creative uh, attacking come midfield players. You've got to be high enough up the pitch and have a good possession of the football in the right areas to use those creative players. And for for sure, up until, well, I mean, it wasn't too bad to start the second half uh, last night and Burnley was certainly got a lot into the final third. But I just feel as well, we're, we're sitting a lot deeper than what I'd like us to sit uh, and conceding a lot of, lot of possession. That surprised me at the start of the game last night. How how far back we sat in the first half, and we just couldn't get near to Southampton. Ray, during the Burnley match, actually, I looked on Twitter, and it wasn't really a day that I wanted to look on Twitter at all. But I saw relegation was trending, and uh, <laughs> and you know why it was obviously trending. Ray, uh, it was in the studio actually that Roy Keane turned around. And he said, "Look, I think they'll have enough to stay up." Some Arsenal fans are genuinely worried. I still think there's three teams in the league that are worse than Arsenal by some distance. I think they'll be fine. They're not going to be relegated. But how bad? You know, how bad could this be? I know you said a couple of wins and Arsenal are out of it, but next couple of games are quite difficult. Everton and Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that's, a, that's the sort of game you've got to get a result if you can. I mean, uh, you, you'll take a point away now, Goodison, after their run. You know, they've had mm. a couple of really good results in recent weeks. Uh, then you've got Chelsea, Frank Lampard. Obviously, he's had two defeats in a row as well. He won't be happy, Frank. So, uh, you know, they want to bounce back quickly. So, we talk about relegation. Look, there is three worse teams than Arsenal at the moment. I know they're going through this bad spell. and I've, They will turn it around. They will suddenly get a result and spur. The, the squad is too good to, to go, even get near relegation. But then we go back to Leicester within the league. You know, 5,000 to 1 that year. Mm. So everybody wrote them off. Everybody put them in a relegation battle. And what happened? They went and won the league. So I'm hoping he's not like that. And they do go... Uh, get, are in a relegation battle. Mm. But as Nigel says, look, one or two results, it might be against Everton, it might go against Chelsea, where they, you know, if they can get a result against one of them and get a win, that will really give a lot of belief to the team and, uh, and confidence. And I think at the moment, every, every team goes through it when you have that little bad spell. Uh, and it's how you weather the storm. People saying about Liverpool, oh, look, they're not playing as well as they are. Man City at the moment. But, it, you know, Arsenal, if they can get that result, I can see it turning around quite quickly because they have got they've got a decent squad. I could, it can be better, but they've still got a decent squad. Okay, I've been I've been holding this off, but I want to go back to the good old days and just get some positivity in this as well and talk about the playing days when you played for Arsenal Wenger, what it was like in in the Arsenal side, the sort of stars that you played alongside as well. Nigel, first of all, just tell us about Arsenal as a manager because we hear a little bit more from him now. He's got a book out. He's got lots of stories in that. What was he actually like as a manager? I absolutely loved him, if I'm, if I'm quite honest with you. Um, from day one, uh, when he came in with the training, it was so energetic, it was short, it was sharp, it was intense. Everybody else talks a lot about how he stopped the drinking, the culture at the club, how he then put the... Well, he didn't put the players on uh, diets, Ray will, Ray will tell you. Um, but he changed the way that we were eating, particularly... Uh, around uh, training days, uh, he wanted everybody to stay, go up into the canteen after to eat together. 
and then obviously you could control on the day before matches uh, and then straight, particularly straight after uh, the, the game was where I found it so intriguing is particularly if it's an away game, he wanted everybody on the coach. If we were traveling by coach on the way back straight after uh, the game had finished, because he wanted to make sure that you were rehydrating and you were eating within an hour after the game. It was, it was so, so uh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was a love of the the training and the intensity because I say to everybody, well, the manager can control what you're eating when you're at the training ground and, and with him on certain days. But when you go home, he has no idea what you're doing. And what did you do when you went home? <laughs> well, I certainly didn't eat all that stuff, that's for sure. <laughs> right, right. You were a little bit like that, weren't you? A little bit of, um, not rogue necessarily, but what he didn't no. see wouldn't hurt him, right? No, I mean, as Nigel says there, he, he did change a lot and it was very important to keep everybody together. I think the training methods were superb. I mean, you know, no disrespect to managers I had before that. Very repetition, bit boring in the end, people losing concentration. It was always on the clock, 15 minutes at this. And you know, then he turned it around completely where you got to think the total opposite of what he was doing in the, the last session, which kept everybody on their toes a little bit. So, mm. yeah, he was a, a fantastic manager. Don't get me wrong, we all, we all had a few beers here and there after the games and still enjoyed ourselves, but he's just had to do it at the right moments. Mm-hmm. I think that's changed completely. I mean, under George Graham, we was, when we had the Tuesday club, usually it went into Wednesday as well with uh, me and Tony Adams. So Wednesday, we'll be having a drink as well. And then Thursday, we sweat it out. Friday, we get ready for the game and then you play Saturday. So uh, that, that all went out the window. It was so much more professional. Mm. Really enjoyable, though. I think Nigel, I totally agree with Nigel, saying that the training was so enjoyable. You couldn't wait to go training. He was, you know, you, you had to do your job, but it was a laugh as well. He, liked to, he had a good sense of humour, Arsene Wenger. Also, well, also as well, Ray, I think if you remember his, uh, the first pre-season that we did, yeah. I don't know whether you can actually remember, we went in first first morning and we had uh, a little uh, jog around the perimeter yeah. of Coney, did a few stretches, and then we went back in, had some lunch. We came out in the afternoon and all the balls were out over the pitch. I mean, yeah. I've never seen that in my whole life in pre-season training. It, usually it was at least three, four, five days. It was hard from day one. And I'm thinking, God, this is the easiest pre-season we're ever going to have that was it for me. I was set on it. Easy pre-season. Thank you very much. Let's, <laughs> let's hope you're what, a decent what, manager. <laughs> yeah, but what he does so well, Nigel, he knows you've had you've had five weeks off. Just gradually get used to being back into football again because it's not it's not about being fit the first day. It's about being fit the last week of pre-season. So that's yeah. what he done so well. He yeah, he did. It and said, right, there's a block there. Remember, he having a meeting saying there's a block. The first block is easy. Mm. Second block is a little bit harder. When we go on pre-season tour then it gets really hard. And it was. But then your body's back into function. He, he knows exactly what he's going to come into. Uh, where other clubs, I went to Middlesbrough, and we've done a fitness test first day. People pulling their hamstrings. And, mm. you know, so that doesn't, that, that, that's just logic, really. You know, yeah. I'm sure if you as a manager there, Nigel, you, you'd probably approach it pre-season that way as well. Oh, no. Run them, run them straight off, Ray. Be my motto. Think it's all you can find. <laughs> no, but also what I liked about it, just very, very quickly as well, is how he used to put us in groups. And then when you were doing your running sessions, you used to alter the time slightly for each group. 
So if you were one of the old boys like me, you got a little bit longer than you did to cover the distance. I mean, how could you not like a manager like that? That's, so so basically, he used to choose who was in each group. So he'd, he'd put like a group of you together that were like the senior players and, and the youngsters together and all that sort of stuff. Sim- similar physical fitness, is that it? Or? Not not just... Uh, the, so like the senior players, the older ones, myself, Tony, Lee, we would have a certain time, whether it be 100 metre sprints, whether it be 400 metres or 800 metres, and then Ray would be in a group, you know, they, they might be, they might have to do it in five or 10 seconds shorter than we would do it. And then the really fit ones, because Ray was fit, but he wasn't in the top echelons. And then the really <laughs> fit ones, the really fit ones would be five, maybe five seconds under the middle group. Mm-hmm. So we just set the times, you know, for, for your age, really, because the idea was that if he wanted you to work at 80%, 90% or 100%, then each group was working at that percentage. One group wasn't working harder than the other group. Yeah, I see what you're saying. A, a, good, a good story I can tell you was uh, Sol Campbell. Uh, I think this is the unbeaten season, and we come back pre-season. I think Sol, uh, he was chilling too much, and he come back about a stone and a half overweight. Anyway, we start running, like Nigel saying, ran the pitch. Next minute, he's, he's coming off the pack. We keep going. Now the goalkeepers have gone past him. He, he was like, we was all saying to him, "Where's your, where's Sol? Where's your? We always thought his brother had turned up instead. So now we, we, we lapsed him. We lapsed Sol going round the pitch, and we all look at him going, "What has he been doing? He's about stung overweight. Uh, obviously enjoyed his holidays too much. But that season, believe it or not, he got fit the way he wanted to get fit on his own soul. And he played every single game that season. If you look at the unbeaten season, he was in the team every single week. And he was outstanding every, every every single week. So in the end, Arsene Wenger said he can do what he likes if he plays like that. He can, you know, he can come back like that. So, you know, he understood people's bodies as well sometimes. Yeah. So like, he might take longer than him to get fit and he, he let people get away with that. Remember mm. that he didn't like confrontation either. No, not so, at all. Arsene so didn't. didn't like that. No, no, he didn't. If, um, you know, towards the end of my time at Arsenal, when he started to, he brought Silvino in and he was just started to announce the team and started to leave me out of the team. He wouldn't look at me when he announced the team. (laughs) I wouldn't want to upset you, to be fair. Um, I've got a question for both of you um, to have a little think about. The managers that are in the Premier League at the moment, if you could play for one of them, and I know obviously the obvious ones are are, are Klopp and Pep, which you're absolutely entitled to, to pick if you like, but... I just wondered who you reckon would get the best out of you now and why. So, Ray, why don't we come to you first on that one? I think it's the obvious, really. You just mentioned two managers who, you know, the standards are set high. You can sense he's got that aura about him, Jurgen Klopp, when he comes on the pitch after games and he cuddles his players. He really protects his players as well. I should imagine the training sessions are sharp, the way they play. I think Jurgen Klopp would be a very good man. If you did the job for him, people like Jordan Henderson, look how he's come on. Yeah since playing under Jurgen Klopp. You know, he knows he's a skipper now and he knows he's such an important player. And I think lots of players won't... Again, like I'd, I've never had a bad word said about Arsene Wenger, as much as we didn't like to see what happened at the end of his mm-hmm. career at Arsenal. I think most players at Liverpool will be the same under Jurgen Klopp. I think they enjoy going to training, they enjoy playing games, they enjoy being successful together. And I think he's got that, you know, he's got that, um, as I said before, that personality to really... You know, you want to play for someone like that. Yeah. What about you, Nigel? I think I would be the same as uh, Ray as well. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to play for this uh, Liverpool team. I just like the way that the belief they've now got uh, with Klopp, and I, I think underneath he's a little more ruthless 
than he looks uh, uh, as well. He just seems as if he's got a gives them a freedom to play, which is what uh, reminds me of Arsene Wenger again. Because when Arsene came in, he just used to say to us, "Just go out and enjoy yourself." It's as if you were like playing Sunday league football. You know, play without any fear. And I just get the feeling that uh, Jurgen Klopp would uh, would be like that um, a little bit as well. I mean, so yeah, I mean Ancelotti as well. I think he's. Is a manager that I think all manage, you know, when you look at managers and they've been successful, you're always a little bit inquisitive about, you know, how have they become successful? Are they man managers? Is it discipline? You know, is it a style of play? Uh, it, it, it's quite intriguing, but we don't really know unless um, you're in or you're around the, the training ground daily or you, you know, you've really had an in depth conversation with someone that's been there and worked with those managers. Let's do Chelsea because Chelsea's coming up on Boxing Day and you both scored brilliant goals, iconic goals for Arsenal against Chelsea. Ray, actually, we have, our family has, um, your one from 2002, the FA Cup, actually framed <laughs> on our wall. Oh, wow. And it's signed as well. So I don't know when that was. Yeah. Yeah, Where'd you get that from? My brother. I've never signed any pictures like that. I bet, I bet it's <laughs> fake, isn't it? Don't tell me that. We paid a lot of money for that one. <laughs> do you know what? Actually, for my, brother's, for my brother's Christmas present, I was looking for an Invincibles signed shirt and they are few and far between. And if you go online to get them, it's something like eight grand. And I love him, what? but I don't love That's him that much. Eight grand for a signed Invincible shirt with, with your name in it, much, uh, I know, isn't it? Anyway, listen, I want to talk to you about those iconic goals. Talk us through them. Tell them if they are, for that one, for you in particular, Ray, where does that rank in terms of all the goals that you scored? Uh, well, it's always special to score in a cup final. I mean, uh, it was great to play my first ever cup final. I think Nigel played as well. I had a bit of a nightmare against Sheffield Wednesday in 93. But, you know, going forward, 98 was a great cup final. We played Newcastle. But, you know, to score one, uh, score a goal in one, because that was the only live game on TV when I was growing up. So my mum and dad made a big thing of it. So two brothers sitting on the old city there, mm. close the curtains, always a hot day. My dad will have his beer, we'll have our orange juice, and we watch all the build up to it. So no, it's a dream come true, really, just to play in a cup final. Mm. And it was it was a great atmosphere. Millennium Stadium, believe it or not. I know we love Wembley and Wembley's a great atmosphere as well. But Millennium Stadium, it was so tight into the pitch and you know, sixty thousand people. And on that day against Chelsea, it was fantastic. If you when you went out to warm up, the red on one side, the blue on the other. And it was just a, a great game. It was a tough game, though, because Chelsea was just starting to grow and, and get better. I think I was marking uh, Manu Petit as well in midfield oh, because he went to Chelsea. You had young Frank Lampard playing alongside uh, Manu Petit. Patrick was alongside me. And it was a real tough game. I mean, David Seaman made two or three really good saves just before I scored. But yeah, when it goes into the back of the net, you, you're over the moon. And I remember, I remember picking the ball up, running forward. I think, where's Thierry? Where's you know, where's the players who are going to score the goal? And it just opened up for me. And uh, you know, you do that all the time in training, Laura. But you, you can always get it right in the pitch. Usually, ends up in the stand somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but this time, this time I got it exactly right, and it ended up in the top corner. And it was great because it was in front of the Arsenal fans. It was in, in front of the red. You could see the faces behind the goal jump up. And I think the first goal in that game would have won because Chelsea were really pushing us at the time. And we, it, was, it was a long, hard season. And it was a really weird season because we still had two games to go in the league. Mm. And usually the FA Cup final is always the last game of the season. And probably that was the best five or six days of my life because we went to Old Trafford four or five days later and obviously won one nil. And Sylvain Wilson scored the only goal. And that was a, another double were secured. So, uh, yeah, wonderful times. And... You just, you just, it sinks in after the game, really. And the best thing about it was the commentary, Tim Lovejoy. 
when he said, oh, it's only Ray Pilot. He's probably right, really, because, you know, you'd rather have me on the ball than Burkham and people like that to score goals. And uh, and Bradley Walsh, I still see him every now and again. He says, Ray, that's still the funniest thing I've ever been involved in. Because <laughs> he was the other fan commentating on it as well. So that, that was always a, a good thing as well. My phone didn't go mad. My phone went mad after that. Tim Lovejoy comment. Did it? And it, stick, it sticks yeah. with you, doesn't it? It's still with you now, it's only Ray Parler. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. I mean, it's, it, again, I'll, I'll go back to it. It was Ian Poulter's, um, it was his, his stag do. And I, I remember, and he said, Tim Lovejoy's coming as well. So I, I, I took a poster with me to Tim, it's only Ray Parler, and give it to him, just a, <laughs> a little present from uh, from an Arsenal fan to a Chelsea fan. That is brilliant. What did he say? Did he, I bet it's on his wall <laughs> no, somewhere he, in his garage. I think, he, I, think he, I think he ripped it up in the end. But no, he, he was, he was like, oh, he said, oh, I made a mistake. It's no problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all had a beer in, and, you know, all, all forgotten about. I tell you what's quite funny, actually, before we move on, because um, I've, I've got one for you as well, Nigel. I don't know if you saw this. This was... Um, Liverpool against Spurs and Tim Sherwood was in the studio Oh yes, and uh, and Liverpool had a corner and he said oh the thing is that, that we've got all the you know our players are better in the air so no one's going to get on the end of it and as soon as he said that Firmino got on the end of it and scored a goal and it was one of those brilliant moments that you just love to see in the world of football when these things happen and it was even funny that it happened to Tim Sherwood did you see it Ray? Yeah I saw it it was so funny <laughs> and his face as well when it went in it was like I don't know if he, I don't know if he uh, had a bet on the game as well, but he, he was worked well, well too happy when the ball went in the back of the net, and that was right at the end of the game, wasn't it? <laughs> but it happens, it. you know. You got to, you got to mention it. And all he said was, "Oh, we're very good uh, defending set plays." <laughs> And then next minute, it's a back of the net. And he was like, oh. So good. But I'm sure every every uh, pundit has done it. Yeah, 100%. Um, Nigel, talking about Chelsea goals, your one, 89th minute, 3-2 victory in the Premier League. Talk us through that one, how special it was. What a goal, Nigel. Well, I mean, it doesn't match Ray's uh, cup final. <laughs> but um, to, be, to be quite honest with you, I didn't realise it was so light, late in the game. I just picked the ball up and I was just travelling forward with it. I was looking to make the pass. And then uh, I think it was Manu Petit. Uh, Dennis Wise was coming across to me, and I think it was Manu Petit sort of took him out. And it just <laughs> gave me that opportunity. If you watch it on all the, the playbacks now, you can see it. Wise, he goes over. So I just decide I'm going to just take it forward again and just let it go and see what happens. And uh, to be fair, once I hit it, I knew it was in. And it's a special moment because you're, you know, the the goalkeeper was just was just rooted, and uh, luckily enough for me, uh, it was one of a few that hit the target. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it was oh, it was just unbelievable. You could just see my uh, reactions and let you know that I don't score very often because I put my foot straight through the hoardings on the side of the side of the pitch and couldn't get my foot out afterwards. <laughs> So it was, uh, yeah, it was just a special moment when you, particularly when you get a power goal like that and it's so late and it's such a, you know, it's such a big, big game as well. I mean, the race talked about, it, you can't be any bigger than a cup final. But for me, just late on against uh, against Chelsea, um, it's it's the goal, as Ray keeps saying, that everybody talks about to me. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to talk about your time at West Ham as well, actually. So you moved over in the year 2000. Some of the names that you were playing with and the manager, so Harry Redknapp was the manager. The characters in your team are ridiculous. Carrick, Joe Cole, Ferdinand Decanio, Trevor Sinclair, Razor Ruddock. We could go on, actually, really, almost name all of them. Stuart Pearce in there, Frank Lampard. I mean, how special was that time? What did it teach you, and what was it like being around all of those players? Uh, well, they had some iconic players, some big, big names, but even being uh, the big, big players that they are, it was it was an eye-opener from moving from... Arsenal to West Ham and particularly going into to games where 
you're told at Arsenal, right from the very, very start, every game you go in, you're going to win or you're going to believe you're going to win. And there were some games when uh, we played, particularly away from home against the big teams, you know, your Liverpools, your Man Uniteds, that I had a feeling that some of the players didn't actually believe that we could we could win those games, which was very, very strange for me. But I loved my time at uh, West Ham. I had a... I had a, a fabulous period there, particularly with Harry. I mean, you know, he just he just basically let me do what I wanted to do, really. <laughs> I just sort of let him know at my because what had happened is that I'd agreed to, to join West Ham. And he said, Oh, I'm gonna, you know, when you come, I'll, we're gonna switch systems, we're gonna go back into a back four. I was like, Harry, I'm 36, I can't play wing back at my age. <laughs> no, no, don't worry, he says we go, we go, you go back to a back four. Anyway, I turn up pre-season, he says to me, I've changed my mind. I think our system sits, fits up to be wing-back. So I had to play wing-back. It was quite hard to get to know the players and understanding what he really wanted me to do through that through that pre-season period. But it, it worked out to a, a certain uh, degree. But the thing that happened was in my first home game, is we were allowed to travel in. We used to get have to get in about an hour and a half before the game. And uh, we were playing Manchester United. And I had a driver to take me in. There was a crash on the M25. So I called Harry up and said, Harry, I don't think I'm going to make it for the game. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, you're taking the mickey out of me. I was like, no, I'm stuck on the M25. So he says to me, oh, I don't care. I'm putting your name down. Whatever happens, we'll just withdraw it later on if, uh, if, you, if you don't get here on time. Uh, so it's a three o'clock kickoff. I got in the dressing room at 25 to three. Everybody was coming back in from their warm-up, and I, I, had to, I had to quickly get my suit off, go out and do a warm-up on, on my own, and literally I got there sort of 25 minutes before kickoff. Uh, it's not the preparation you want for your, your first game at home when you first join a football club, but I loved my time. Unfortunately, I talk about the last season, the relegation uh, season, was very, very uh, difficult for me. We had some terrific players. This is why I'm saying... Uh, look at the Arsenal situation. Arsenal won't go down, but I hope in that dressing room that they're not thinking that they're too good to go down because if you look at the squad that I played in in that period of time, it had tremendous players. But as I just talked to you about earlier, we just couldn't we couldn't win a game of football. With all that quality, we just couldn't win. Something would go wrong every single uh, week. And unfortunately, in the last season, I broke my wrist and then I couldn't play for a little while then. Unfortunately, I... I found out that my dad had got cancer, so I wasn't really there from February to the end of the season. That's when Sir Trevor came in and, and took over. And unfortunately, he did, he, we had a terrific run, but I wasn't involved. And then, you know, we just we just lost out. We just couldn't pick up uh, enough points. And I just completely fell out of love at the end of that season with what happened. And I wanted to go back, really, and play for free. But... There and then, I just retired. I just had enough. I just thought, what's all this been, been for? And uh, but that's my one regret, I think, from from being at West Ham. I'd have loved to have gone back when they when they were relegated. I would have played for nothing um, to just see if I'd give it one more year. We could have got back out of the the championship. You know, when you you look back and you say your you one regret, but in a way as well, when you just sort of summed up what was going on at the time. It's easy to say that now, isn't it? But how difficult would it have been at the time for you, even even? To oh, I couldn't. I, I couldn't do it at the time. Mm. It was the, it was the last thing that I was thinking about. Is I didn't, you know, I just completely 
fell out of love with the game. I, you know, I, I knew even at 39, I thought I could carry on, uh, not in the Premier League for sure, mm. but I could carry on uh, and play in the lower leagues, which I would be, would have been quite happy to do simply because I love playing football. Ray will tell you now that I, I still go and play with a, a group of mates. It's like, I just love it. It's just the, the just getting out there, just having a little, I was going to say run around, but it's more like a walk around now. <laughs> just like go, going out. But I just, com- just completely what happened to my dad, I was just like, no, that's it. I don't know why I've even bothered to play. Um, but now I look back and I think, you know what? Uh, my dad wouldn't have wanted that to happen. And I just wish I'd have gone, no, you've got to go back. If they want you to go back, they probably at my age wouldn't want me to go back, but I would have been quite happy. People say they'll go back and play for nothing, but I tell you, I, I, I love being there and I would, have, I would have done that. Ray, let's talk about your time as well. So when you left Arsenal, you went to Borough, 2004, a European final run. What was that run like to be involved in that UEFA Cup final? Oh, it was amazing. It really was. A small town, you know, uh, like Middlesbrough, getting to the final, the UEFA Cup. And I think the quarterfinals, semifinals, there were some cracking games. I mean, with Macaroni coming on and scoring a couple right at the end and it was a couple, a couple of last-minute goals to get us through to the next round. And the atmosphere was 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 electric. We come up against a side too good in the end, Seville, in the final. And we got beat very, very convincingly. I think it was 4-0 in the end. So uh, it comes to an end. But the Middlesbrough fans will always remember that that journey. You know, them, them away trips in Europe was was superb. They always had a good following. Um, they always had people going abroad and, and, and supporting us. Yeah, it was it was a great moment. And we had some, again, like Nigel was saying there, it was really hard to leave Arsenal, you know, at, at that time because we had so many great players and winning trophies. But I went into a team who was very, very talented as well. I mean, Mark Viduka up front, Hasselbank, Mendieta in midfield, George Botang, Stuart Downing was a young youngster coming through. Uh, Zenden was in the team. Obviously, Gareth Southgate, uh, the late Hugo Ekiogu was a great guy as well. Uh, Mark Swartz. I swear, some really good players. And I think Steve McLaren knew that we hopefully will try and challenge into that top six, top seven to get into Europe. And man- they managed to do that. And obviously, the... The brilliant run the next season in the UEFA Cup was uh, was fantastic for the club. Did you think when you, knowing Gareth Southgate at the time, playing alongside him, did you ever think at the time he'll make a good manager one day? I thought he was, I thought Gareth would go into management, if I'm being honest. Whether he, he would have been England manager as quick as he has done mm. uh, was another another thing. I mean, at, at the time, a little bit of luck went his way with Sam Allardyce getting sacked and he, he was in the, he was the only man really for the job at that time who they wanted to uh, try and push forward. But I could see him definitely going into management. He always had his own opinion. He was skipper of the club. He knew a lot about the football and, you know, tactically, uh, he knew very well what he wanted at the team as well. Decent leader for Middlesbrough, if I'm being honest. He he was he'd done his job at, at the back. But as I said before, he probably didn't expect to be England manager as quick as he was. He, you know, usually you went he started at Middlesbrough, it didn't really work out for him at Middlesbrough, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. And he went away, done his coaching badges, when it got into England, obviously lower down, under 23s, under 21s, under 19s. But they could see probably FA could see potentially he would be an England manager, maybe after Sam Allardyce. Probably that Sam Allardyce maybe be there for two or three years and then Sakharov probably would have gone in. But because of circumstances, he got he got in earlier and he's done a great job. You know, he's got some great youngsters coming through and he's he's he's, uh, he's really improved England. Yeah. Christmas is just around the corner. So I feel like I've got to ask because I think if I could... Uh, <laughs> if I... <laughs> 
no one would have known that if you look at any Zoom. No one would know from that. Where's your decoration? Where are you anyway? Do you know what? I'm actually in a studio and I'm I'm livid that there's no Christmas tree up here. I've got to be honest. Not even any fairy lights or anything. I feel I feel suitably unfestive, which is not like me really. But if I could pick myself up and put me in any time at any party at Christmas it would probably be the Arsenal players Christmas party pretty much from the era that you guys were there so nothing more modern than that I just think back then those days I think would have been incredible don't break my heart and tell me that they weren't wild what were they like Nigel have you got any stories uh, well <laughs> listen I should Ray ask is the, I? Ray, is, no, Ray is the storyteller so he could tell the stories after I mean I just re- uh, remember that um, with uh, the one thing that always sticks out in my mind with George when he was the manager, he used to we used to stay at home, uh, have a bit of time at home Christmas morning. We used to then go to Highbury. We used to train around five o'clock. I can't remember whether Ray will remember this or yeah, it was yeah. maybe a little bit too. Early. And Kev Richardson was uh, joined our club and uh, he just lived up the road from me, so he always used to travel in together on Christmas Day to the games. So anyway, I went to pick uh, Kev up because he's had he'd had a few he'd had a few sherbets for, with his Christmas dinner. And he, he he got into my car and he was looking a little bit worse for wear and he still had his slippers on. <laughs> so I take him to I take him to uh, to Highbury. We come out and he walks in he walks in with all the lads and all the lads are cracking up. Kev's still got his slippers on. And anyway George is there and he's obviously clocked it. But he hasn't said anything to Kev whatsoever. We're training. Doesn't say anything. The next the next day we played Charlton. To be fair, I think it was a 3-3 draw at home, but we were awful. And after the game, George ripped into Kev Richardson. And he just turned around just to let him know and said, said about, you're a disgrace today, your performance. He said, and it looked like you were still wearing those slippers. <laughs> and, <it's> just, <laughs> and I just remember that that was George because he never really at times lost his rag straight away, yeah. but he clocked he clocked everything and he'd obviously seen Kev coming in. He knew, he knew he'd had a few drinks and he got his slippers on. He said, it looks like you played in your slippers today. <laughs> and he, he obviously was not impressed with, uh, with Kev whatsoever, but Ray has got some good stories about Chris. He's, uh, well, yeah, well, not really. No they ways. were I mean, a bit. There, there was a little bit out of hand at Christmas parties in the nineties, wasn't they? I mean, right. you know, Kevin Campbell used to organize a few and it would be like, whoa, <laughs> it was a little bit, you couldn't get away with it now, put it that way. Where you, would you go? Bit, uh, what would you do? I don't know. We, we just went locally, really. And, you know, certain places, sometimes we all had a room out just for ourselves But when we we have our own party and bring our mates in and whatever. But the, one funny story was um, we just finished training. It was a Tuesday as usual. And we all going down to this bar called The Champions in Potter's Bar. Now, George Graham couldn't really work out where we was all going all the time. But, yeah. but the thing was about George, he was always trying to catch people out because we had a reserve game the following day. So there was four or five players who were coming out of the Tuesday club who shouldn't have been there because they had a game the next day for the reserves. And you're not allowed to go out the day before, 48 hours before a game. So we're all in there one day. And I don't know why, I was looking at the window and all of a sudden, Stuart Houston walked past very quickly, trying to look in. George was made Stuart Houston follow one of us to the bar and he's parked up around the corner just to see who's in this bar. And I went, lads, I don't know how many beers I've had, but I'm sure Stuart Houston just walked past that window. (laughs) Right? And all of them went like that, quick, quick. The five people who were supposed to be playing in the reserves quickly run out the back door and hid 
So I said, look, lads, he's got to come back. He's got to come back that way because he's probably cars over there. Yeah. So we're all now standing at the window. Everybody who, who can be in there standing at the window. And like what we thought, Shoot Houston ends up walking back past and looks in. We're all looking at him. Shoot, all right. Next minute he comes in and he's looking around, you know, he's, he's put thinking, I'm sure there's more people in, in this in there. And uh, lucky know, enough, they got away with it because I saw it. And uh, because that would have been that would have been a two weeks wage is fine. Oh, and he went, sorry, lads, he always apologised. He always apologised, yeah. sorry. Give it, the boss has made me follow you. Uh, do you want to know where you, what you're getting up to uh, at this, on this Tuesday club or something? And, you know, that was that was quite a good one. But, yeah, Christmas... It got a little bit harder as it went forward. I mean, uh, when Nigel left, I think Nigel left and it got a little bit more professional. We still went out for dinner and, and end up somewhere, but it was really hard to fit in sometimes, our Christmas party, because we had so many games coming up. In that era, you're always competing for the title, so you can't really let yourself mm. down and say, right, lads, we can come right back this game of the weekend, we can still go out. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely got a lot tamer, the Christmas parties under the Arsene Wenger era uh, did, than it was under the George Graham era. Did Arsene Wenger ever let himself go? Maybe not at Christmas, but, you know, at the end of season or, or, or like, when you've won a title or you've won an FA Cup, yeah, did he ever let himself go? Yeah, of course he did, yeah. Like? I mean, he, he was a good, good guy. What was he drink? He, he, he enjoyed everybody enjoying themselves and had a few drinks. He always had a couple of beers, even the night before a game in a hotel. You know, all of, all the uh, the staff, Pat Rice and Borough Primorak, if, if, if he travelled, would go to, go off to the bar and have a drink and, and stay up and have a chat and whatever. So, yeah, he liked a beer. Is he it? always wanted to pour it himself, though, or something. I always noticed he never had a pint out of the uh, the draft. He always wanted a bottle and make sure the guy takes the, uh, the takes the, uh, the lid off in front of him. Really? So he was a little bit wary of that. That's it. What, why? What did he think was going to happen? I don't know, but he obviously uh, anything can happen with beer. But he just wanted to be in control with someone yeah. opening in front of him. I don't know why, but that's his just mentality that he just wanted to do that. I've always seen him as like a posh wine fellow. Do you know what I mean? Like a, yeah, like a really yeah. high end. Yeah, he likes red. a red wine as yeah. well. Don't worry about that. I bet he does. I tell you what's really weird, actually. Just before we started, you know how your iPhone just sort of flashes up? It gives you some like on this days or like a roundabout on this days. And a photo just came up. And it wasn't on this day exactly, but it's me and you, Ray, from that Legends of Football dinner that Jess Shreves organises, the last one that was in aid of Arsene Wenger. How weird is that? Oh, wow. Isn't that yeah. spooky? So how, so what, was it last year, this time last year? It must have been this time. I think it was, it was last in, year, I think wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah, sure it was. last year. I think it would have been a bit earlier, maybe October or something like that. It was, yeah. And it, and it but, just Yeah, I mean, it, it was dream. a great evening, wasn't it? He spoke yeah, so well. You was. know, I think he came out with that night, look, what Nigel said, he had no budget whatsoever. Yeah. And, you know, when he built the stadium, because he was a lot to do with that Emirates Stadium, mm. um, you know, designing it, how he wanted to see it, the dressing room area, um, it changed completely because he wanted everybody to see each other when they're, when they're talking and whatever. But believe it or not, he had to, he had to sign a five-year contract or the bank wouldn't lend the money to, to Arsenal, which is amazing, really. So he put his future down to say, right, OK, yeah. I'm happy at this club. I really want to help this club. So I'm going to sign a five-year contract. And that released the money to build the stadium. So it just shows you that he was a very loyal man. He yeah. was a very loyal man. He could have had other options at the time. Real Madrid probably was was after him, but he said, no, I'm, st I'm sticking with Arsenal. I've grown this club to where it is now and I want to want to see it keep growing. And it, it, it certainly has under with the new Emirates Stadium. It's, it's superb. Me and Nigel are lucky enough to go most home games when we can. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a magnificent stadium. What I liked about Arsenal as well is when I did a few Q&As with him after I'd uh, finished as well, but also, you know, you go to the, like, the Arsenal general meetings and you've got all this, uh, some of the supporters there and an invited guest and you could see they really wanted to have a 
have a go at him. They wanted to question what was going on and what was happening at the football club. And then, you know, it was, it was, it was at times it was quite hostile, but by the end of the night, everyone was standing up and clapping him. He's <laughs> charming. He's just like, he's just charmed the life out of them. He's just hit them with complete honesty and they really <laughs> don't know what to say to him. And they all start clapping. I wonder, I wonder what he thinks about Arsenal at the moment. What do you think would be going through his head when he sees the, the league position Arsenal are in at the moment and the, and the discipline that they're showing, Ray? I can do well, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We <laughs> Let me back. Better. But it just shows you how much of a good job he did. I know, I know, I know look, people want to be going for titles and uh, and people were moaning when he was getting fourth every single season. Mm-hmm. Fourth you isn't know, a trophy. In Champions League. Oh, this ain't <laughs> good enough. Saying. Look at us now. We, we, we would do anything to come fourth now. Yeah. You know, it just show, but it just shows you. It, it, was, it was sad to see. He wouldn't be happy because he, he knows Mikel Arteta. He, he obviously, mm. he managed him mm. at Arsenal Football Club. He, he wants him to do well. Any manager asks, he wants him to do well. So he'd be disappointed, but it just he was, he was sad to see at the end of his reign. And maybe he should have left a little bit earlier. Should have, like people said three years before that when he won the FA Cup would have been a perfect timing. But when we went over to the stadium and you know thirty thousand people were turning up on, on a sixty thousand seat stadium, in the end it just it wasn't enjoyable to to be there because I know what he did for the club. Nigel knows what he did for the club. Our, our careers as well. Yeah. He really he helped my career, helped Nigel's career going forward, and uh, it was sad to see really because it was an, it was a different group of players. I think one thing he, he had when he first came to Arsenal, he had a real good. You know, he had a great back six, I call them, because Martin Key, I can't leave Martin out, and uh, mm. David Seaman in you goal. You mean you dared not leave him out? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> the, the, Alan Brazil, every, every, Alan Brazil winds him up for fun on a Friday. <laughs> oh, that famous back four, uh, that was fantastic, <laughs> weren't they? And Martin, Martin walks past because he's doing yeah. a mixed show, and he's like, he wants to kill Alan. But um, yeah, I mean, he had that stability at the back, but you could sense what he was going to achieve at Arsenal. His focus was, was amazing. And, you know... He had a group of players. If it was going wrong on the pitch, they sort it out between them. Yeah. And in the dressing room, they sort it out between them. If people weren't doing their jobs, they'd get told. And I don't think this group of players of this era can do that. You know, they're happy to walk away. And, look, everybody wants to win games, but it doesn't hurt them enough. Where I think in our era, it really hurt. And you got told if you wasn't doing your job. If, if, Nigel, if Nigel's left winger weren't doing his job, then he'd be told by Nigel. Same with me, with Lee Dixon behind me, saying, right, you, you fill in there, telling me what to do at times. And, mm. and I don't think I've got that anymore. I think it's just you go out, play your own game, and don't worry about every, anybody else. How do you I get that what, back? How do you, is, it, is it the characters, Nigel, that you've got to bring in? Leadership qualities. Well, it's leadership, it's character, and also it's it's understanding what's expected at your football club. Mm. And Ray's right. He, he just talked about there when Arsene Wenger first came, the experienced players that were there. But for me, what Arsene Wenger did is when you like, then you start to bring in Vieira, Petit, Overmars, Anelka, Henri, Pires. You can just keep listing the list as it goes along for a long period of time. He's bringing in players with real quality. And I always remember what Thierry Henri said is, once I walked into that dressing room, I was told in no uncertain terms what it was like to play for Arsenal and what was acceptable and what's not acceptable. Uh, And if you don't reach those standards, you'll let know very, very quickly. But... You know, I, I think the mentality has changed. You, you, I listen to certain managers now talking about how they used to manage and, mm. you know, how they used to get ups, upset with players. And now they're saying, we can't do that. If we do what we used to do 10 years ago, these players are simply walk out on us. So you've got to find a different way to not motivate them because you shouldn't have to motivate mm. 
any player. But when they're in difficult form, Mikel Arteta's got to find a way that uh, puts the switch back on. But also, each individual player should be just saying to themselves, right, I need to give 100%. And if I've given 100% and I'm looking around my teammates and I don't feel they're quite at it today, then I'm going to let him know. I'm going to give him that. And you might get a reaction back to start with, but you know that that player will then go, oh, that's not normal for, uh, let's say, Nigel to be saying to, to Ray, oh, come on, Ray, you're a bit off it today. He might, he might turn around and tell me where to go start with, but then he'll think and go, actually, he never usually says that to me, so I've got to be slightly off my game. And it's like, I've got to lift myself here. And, and so the players have got to pull themselves up as well. And uh, I think Arsene Wenger, as, as you're right, he just let us... He just let us manage ourselves. But he did bring in some real quality through that midfield and, and attacking area as well to, to support that. And it just worked like a dream to start with. Absolutely. Well, let's send you two in then. Let's send you both in the dressing room and see if you can get hold of them. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's been so lovely speaking to you. Thanks for chatting for so long as well. And um, fingers crossed Arsenal can pull themselves out of this. And uh, we will chat again very soon. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks, Nigel. Right, thanks, thanks, Ray. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, Thank looking you, forward Nigel. To it. Yeah, I just, uh, I just want my beloved team to uh, start moving above halfway and then I can uh, start enjoying my Christmas, but uh, it might be a few more weeks, yeah. <laughs> Ray, go get a few more Christmas decorations up. You haven't got enough. Oh, I will do. Cheers, guys. Speak to you soon. Take See care. You, Laura. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. That was amazing. I'm pretty sure I managed to just about contain my fangirling. Maybe not the very, very top, but I love that. Bio, if you're listening, thank you so much. That was an incredible Christmas present. Uh, makes it all worth Bio not being here, actually, and maybe he should take a day off more often. Time now to take a little look at the Super 6 fixtures for round 22. Download the Super 6 app, create an account and play for free by predicting the scores of six chosen matches to be in with a chance to win £250,000 this week. Don't forget as well about our Super 6 leagues. You can join by using the code SUPER6 and there is a £1,000 prize for the winner of that league. Massive, massive money. Another reminder as well, you can invite your mates to join the Super 6 and if any of your invited friends go on to win the jackpot, you, yourself, win £25,000. It's all worth it. Let's do some predictions. Some solo predictions today. I don't have bio to put me off or influence me at all. Southampton against Manchester City. Now, now, despite the fact that Saints are pretty good at the moment, I still think City have the edge. I'm going to say a 2-1 win at St Mary's for Manchester City, but at least Saints will get a goal in that one. Huddersfield are playing Watford. I'm going to say 1-0. Watford, Troy Deeney penalties. Got a couple of those lately. Luton. Now, Luton lost to Borough the other night, didn't they? Oh, I had a penalty disallowed. I'm going to actually say Luton against Bournemouth. Bournemouth just edge it 1-0 sorry Luton fans Brentford v Reading 2-0 win for Brentford Birmingham v Borough Borough I think they're really close to the playoff spots at the moment I'm going to say 2-0 Borough and then Swansea oh 2-0 Borough do I want to do that yeah I've done it Swansea against Barnsley 1-0 Swansea there you go bosh Okay, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And a massive thank you to Ray and also to Nigel for making my life, not just my day, not just my Christmas. It was amazing. Thank you so much. You made me feel more optimistic about being an Arsenal fan, which doesn't happen much. Bio is going to be back next week. And a reminder as well that if you want to get involved on Twitter, you can. You can follow us at Super6. 
You can use the hashtag as well, Super6Podcast. And don't forget to like and subscribe, and then you'll make sure that the downloads go automatically into your little podcast thingy each week. We'll see you again next time.